Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Hey, before we get the show started, I wanted to let you know we are giving away a bunch of brand new black magic gear. Yeah, cameras, switchers, DaVinci Resolve licenses, a bunch of awesome stuff. So stay tuned to learn how you can enter to win free gear from Black Magic, and we're going to tell you all about it later on in this episode. Now cue the music. Hello, welcome to the 212th episode of Just Shoot It, a podcast about filmmaking, screenwriting, and directing. This episode is brought to you by patron Rachel K. Ivey. I'm Matt Enlow. And I'm Warren Kaplan, and today we are doing a very special episode for all intents and purposes, Hollywood has totally shut down. So what do directors, whose livelihood depends on being on set, do while they're locked up at home? We decided to reach out to some of our favorite working directors to see if they can spill the secrets of quarantine filmmaking success. We heard all sorts of stories. Some people were productive. Some people were doing DIY projects. Some people were focusing on self-care or just uh, existential freakouts. Um, hopefully some of them will inspire you or at least let you know that you're not the only filmmaker that doesn't know what the heck they're supposed to do with all this time at home. Over the course of the recordings, I don't know about you, Orin, but I think that uh, I was kind of all of those things at different times and sometimes all of the above. For sure. I'm definitely closer to the side of not being productive, but I guess we are making a podcast, so maybe that counts for something. (laughs) Hopefully. We have decided to split this up into two parts because we've interviewed a bunch of directors, probably around 10, right? Yeah. So we've got Maggie Kylie, Roxy Shee, the Pierce Brothers, Carlin Hudson, and then on the next episode, Sarah Adina Smith. Tim Wilkheim and Matt Pollock, Lily Marier, and also people checked in with us. We've got a few voicemails from a listener or two. So it's a star-studded two episodes. Yeah. Over these next two parts, we're going to give you a glimpse into the new filmmaking world that we've all found ourselves stuck in. Our first Zoom conversation was with Maggie Kylie. She's become a super prominent episodic TV director as of late. She did stuff for Riverdale. Katie Keene, Sabrina, she's kind of in that universe, and she was in the middle of shooting a pilot for ABC and Warner Brothers when production was shut down mid-production due to the COVID-19 restrictions. Thanks for having me. It's good to see you guys again. So we were just curious about what you're doing, how you're doing, what's going on. (laughs) I'll just sum it up real quick. I was directing a pilot in New York for ABC and Warner Brothers. And first we just went on pause mid-March. And then obviously we 
proceeded to shut down completely. So I came back out to LA. So I'm home in LA with my two children and my husband up in Beachwood Canyon, you know, homeschooling, cleaning closets, and trying to maintain a presence in my creative life, which is sort of challenging right now. Were you in full steam production when you were shooting? Yeah, I'd been in New York since the beginning of January prepping, and we had just started shooting. So we shot five days of a 15-day pilot. So I'm thankful that we actually started shooting because there were a bunch of pilots that didn't even get to start. But we were really just getting going. We had just gotten our rhythm, I felt like. You just Um, learned everyone's names, right? Barely, barely. I mean, the last few days of production, obviously, were really just intense because everything was starting to feel scary and sets are not the most hygienic places, as you know. I had a pump of hand sanitizer in my pocket at all times. Mm. So yeah, but it was a great start. I'm excited about what we got, but the future is very unclear at this point. Wow, that's crazy. And even crazier that you were in New York City, which is by far the worst hit place in the country. Are you allowed to tell us what pilot it was? Yeah, it's called The Brides. It's from a showrunner who I've worked for before, Roberto Aguirre-Sacasa. He does Riverdale and Katie Keene and Chilling Adventures of Sabrina. And it's a new pilot based on The Brides of Dracula, kind of a reimagining of if the three brides of Dracula hadn't been killed and that they had lived longer and were now living in New York City in present day. So yeah, it was fun. It was really that fun. That awesome. It's yeah. fun. Sounds yeah. so fun. I think it's interesting to talk to you because I think that a lot of the other directors that we're talking to, for better or worse, were kind of in between things, you know? And so I think it's really fascinating to have been cranked up and moving on something that a pilot's such a huge task. Mm. It takes so much creative investment and attention. And to stop midstream and to have this moment to reflect on it and think on it, are you trying to think through what you're going to do next, what that future project is, you know, maybe stuff that's a little further down the line, or are you just trying to be in the moment and, like you said, take care of your family and your health and and live your life? Reacquaint yourself with your kids. Yeah. Exactly. I mean, it's definitely shifted in the last month because right off the bat, I felt so cut off because you're right with a pilot you spend so much time creating that visual language getting those locations getting all those costumes approved casting you know it's this pushing this enormous boulder up a hill and when you finally start shooting it feels like everyone is finally off your back a little and you can just focus on the work and then to have to be judged on the show as a whole just from getting five days in It's hard. It's hard because you didn't, you know, I edited that footage into something, but obviously it's not a completed pilot. But as soon as I understood that it doesn't sound like production is going back into the fall, I was able to take a step back from the pilot because I have no idea when I would go back to that. And it has been nice to have the space to read other scripts and really think about what the next thing is. I have been working in television exclusively for three years, and I've been really wanting to get back to a feature. So because I won't be on set for this long stretch, it feels like a great opportunity to find that project, develop something. So it's a combination of that and the other, being with my family, being home 
home. I'd been in New York for almost three months. So being back and not having an immediate departure date feels really nice in some ways. Was your pilot a pilot that has been picked up to series yet? Yeah, TBD. I mean, the broadcast pilot world was significantly affected by this because I think we were the only ABC drama pilot that even started to shoot. So yeah, I'm not sure. They may make a decision based on what we shot. It's really hard to know. I guess you're kind of in this weird situation because if you do go back to finishing the pilot, you could, having had some days to sit with the footage from the first five days, you could be like, oh, maybe we'll recast this one part or reshoot this one thing or add this piece of piping to like make these scenes work. Yeah, completely. Um, Especially on a pilot, which you probably don't get a lot of that opportunity. Well, yeah, you're so in the thick of it because especially on a broadcast pilot, the pace sort of ramping up to it as you go is so mm-hmm. significant. But it's interesting to take a step back and have a moment to like take a breath and think about. When I was thinking about shooting the rest of it right away, I was thinking what I missed or rushed through those first five days that I'd want to take my time for going forward. Well, what we've been hearing from a lot of people who mostly are just guessing or kind of coming up with their own theories is that it seems like there might be this uh, vacuum of content for TV, for movie theaters, for film. It's like, who knows how long where nobody is shooting anything. So when we come back, we'll have to make up for a quarter of a year. Yeah. It's missing. I wonder if that means it's more likely that a pilot that already has even a little momentum will get picked up because people will be rushing to create more things. Yeah, I mean, it certainly feels like people are looking for material, you know, whether it be to develop or to be getting ready to shoot when we get back. Yeah, definitely. I'm curious, actually, Maggie, you've done a ton of like cable and Netflix, but this is your first broadcast pilot, right? Well, is that true? Katie Keene is a broadcast pilot because CW is a network, but it is a different prior to the brides. I actually worked on the whole second season of Dirty John, which is coming out on June 2nd. That was very different. You know, it's an anthology series, eight episodes, all one storyline, period. Very, very, very different. But yeah, broadcast has a lot of voices and and a lot of things to consider. It's certainly... Mm filmmaker driven, but you also have to pay attention to so many other layers of marketing and accessibility. I imagine there's this trend towards trying to be more filmmaker driven, right? They're looking at what's happening in prestige cable and Netflix and all that. But the DNA of a network is kind of contrary to that. So did you find that there were growing pains? Yeah, absolutely. Getting to direct a pilot on this, I was actually given an an executive producer credit, which I hadn't had before. So I was on more phone calls than I'd been on before. So I heard more feedback from that more executive level, which especially when you're an episodic director, you get to come in, do your thing, deliver your director's cut, and then kind of go away. And then maybe you watch it when it airs, or maybe you don't. You're insulated from that process. Yeah. So now hearing the notes. Yeah. I mean, I, I think for any, well, for me, I, I sort of bristle at it initially, but it's been a real learning curve of trying to understand what the note is and where it's coming from and what they're considering that maybe I'm not considering. And, and then how do you maintain what you were trying to do that was elevated and unique and interesting and still meet the note somehow. I have one last coronavirus-related pilot directing question, which is something that 
literally is changing every day and we're guessing what's going to happen next week. But something that has kind of been floating in the ether as people talk about reopening society is that people might be able to go back to work, but on a much smaller scale. So you might be able to have a set with 10 people on it or 20 people on it, but not 200 people. And so I'm curious if when you're working on the highest level TV pilot that there is with a huge cast and crew and network executives and all those things and in New York City, has there been any talk of can we finish this pilot with a 20 person crew? Can we scale it down? Can we strategize on ways to finish this under 50 people or whatever we're kind of guessing will be the limitations on production? Or would the show just not even work if you couldn't have 100 people on set? I haven't heard that specific conversation, but, you know, I started like you in indie film where the crew was significantly smaller and you know that you're able to get it done that way. This is a big show. It has some big sequences and big set pieces and it's the sort of a three-hander. So there's always a lot of cast on screen. I think for sure there's a version that's pared down from that 200, but in terms of really small, I don't know, that would be hard. It's, it's interesting yeah. to think about or how you limit how many people are right sort of in the thick of it and who's layered out. Maggie, thank you so much for taking a little bit of time out of your day to talk to us. Oh yeah, thank you for having me. Hopefully we can have you back on in the future to hear about yeah all the pilot directing and stuff. I imagine that there's a lot more pressure that balance of how are we going to make this different and how are we going to make this safe for the network must be really exciting i'd love to hear how you go about addressing that back when we're we're working again yeah i would love that stay safe you guys while maggie was in the middle of production our friend roxy she was prepping a feature and a short when the quarantine started she tells us about her daily routine and finding time by creating a daily schedule and by being kind to herself, which we should probably also do. Hey guys, how are you holding up? Good. Uh, you're a filmmaker. You are probably in the middle of like 30 projects right now. You've directed many a feature film. You've produced many things. You've done things all over the place. Uh -huh. What are you doing during the quarantine? Uh, you know, it's so interesting. I even called Matt last week, I think. And I was just like, oh, my God, like, what are you doing? I think all You're of like, us are what's just going on? what's going on. It's like the worst episode of Black Mirror ever. And, you know, what's crazy was that I thought of a couple of concepts for this production company that wants to do horror anthologies or just some ideas during this quarantine season. And no matter what I thought of, nothing is as scary as the reality that we're living in right now. Just reading about what's happening in third world countries, I think that's been very interesting. But during this time, I've been really taking a lot of it for myself, doing other hobbies and talking to people. But also, work is work, and you still have to be in development for other things once the quarantine is lifted. So it's been a very good balance for me. It took a week to sort of find that routine. But once I did, I felt like I could get used to this as long as I have money coming in, which I don't at the moment. But theoretically, this is not so bad, you sure. know? Yeah, yeah. The money right. part is the thing that I yeah. think, in addition to all of the danger and people getting sick and stuff, the difference between just feeling secure financially or even just having the potential of earning income versus not is the big issue for a lot of us. The anxiety. 
the anxiety. Yeah, it's like easy to stay home and write and do some yoga and call your friends. Sounds good, you know, but it's uh, the money part that's a little tricky. I want to learn a little more, Roxy, about what your balance looks like on a day-to-day basis what's the routine yeah now that you found that that groove yeah i get up really early i don't put any curtains up so when the sunlight rises like that's when i'm up i take my dog out for an hour walk and i think it's nice to get some fresh air and now that there's a lot less people out the air is a lot nicer and you can take your time just walking through the city or your neighborhood i come back I make myself a strong cup of coffee and I sit down and I go through my emails. And you know, strangely, after the first transitory week for everybody, I think there's more momentum now as people are really trying to uh, think about what's going to be coming next because things are really well in California. I think that we've been doing a very good job in flattening the curve. So being able to see hope and that light at the end of the tunnel is a lot more plausible now. So then I'm able to really work and read and take sort of that time in between, I think, 10 o'clock and 4 p.m. And I like to cook myself a meal in between that time because usually you're just grabbing and going and driving all over the city and taking meetings and all that stuff. But really taking that time for yourself, working out every day, because that's something that we don't get to do. But also being a little bit more kind to yourself, I think. Like, if you don't feel like doing it, that's completely fine. And also, I've been reading tarot for a lot of people on a donations-based sort of platform and also doing it free for healthcare workers. Can I ask you a question about that for a second? Of course. How do you schedule that? Like, so let's say you're working on a screenplay or talking to someone about a project or something, And then someone's like, hey, can you do a tarot reading? Do you compartmentalize these opportunities to socialize with people separate from the time that you are using to develop your stuff that you need to be in deep thought on? Yeah, uh, you really need to reserve your energy for certain sections of your day. So uh, structure is very important to me. Also, I've been reading about when this started happening, how the Chinese dealt with their extreme isolation. Some of them have been in quarantine for 60 days, and it's so much stricter there. Like, they, they lock your door. You can't go out. We're actually quite lax in our lockdown here, but hearing about how those people dealt on the day-to-day, and they were able to do it ahead of us, you know, so being able to gain that insight. And I felt like what really worked for me is by keeping busy. Like there's painting, I'm painting, I'm learning two new instruments. By the way, no one has to do this. I just do this because I'm crazy. Okay. So I learned how to play the kalimba. You're playing the marimba, right? Yeah. So, so I can play like a couple things, you know, <laughs> it's just a little uh, Can you just play the NBC chime for me? I'm a cord cutter. And so I'm really behind. Oh no, I have to be able to rehearse ahead of time and like, <laughs> just bring that on me while we're doing a podcast. So yeah, I mean, um, I I feel like being able to section off parts of my day dedicated to certain things and be able to write a schedule for myself has been extremely helpful in structuring my time. And this way, time actually goes by really quickly. Mm -hmm. It is funny how time has been going by so fast. You're like, how are we so deep into this already? I mean, I think one of the hardest things for all of us, especially in the film industry, is we know that it's going to be a slow rollout back into society, Mm. but it feels like in the air that a production of more than like 10 people is not going to happen for a very long time at the end of the year, the soonest, right? Because we're not going to be grouped together like 100 people in one house for a while, at least without masks and without proper sanitation of equipment and cameras and C-stands and sandbags and all those things that we all need to touch together. Are you doing anything now to set up for what you want to do when the quarantine is over? 
yes. I also have been keeping track about what's happening in China because they have started uh, production mm-hmm. again. Oh, Zhang oh. Yimou's new film is actually picked up in production. And I don't know about that because the thing about Asia is that they enforce really strict guidelines. And their society, everyone's extremely socially responsible. They have to follow those rules. So mm-hmm. with those stricter regulations, I do feel like, like we're going to see what happens with that if the second wave is going to come back in that sort of scenario. Hopefully by summertime, we'll be able to gauge and maybe there's like a trial of maybe less than 50 people. I don't know what you guys have been reading, but for me, I remain hopeful that if our leaders are able to enforce something that helps us follow those health guidelines, that we may be able to still have work. Because I think the three of us are very lucky. I mean, we're directors, you know what I mean? But we're thinking about those crew members that are on a paycheck to paycheck basis and literally not being able to hold out until the end of the year for work. I think that is something to heavily consider, but I remain hopeful about the below 50 cast and crew scenario. We'll see how China does it. And then hopefully that could set an example for us. Do you think that this is going to change our business in any way? Are there opportunities you're seeing for yourself as a filmmaker? How do you see this affecting your career and the career of other people that are kind of in the same place as you, that you've kind of done a ton of indie things and you're getting really plugged into these much bigger productions recently. Yeah. I was supposed to do a feature this month, and I was supposed to do a short project in Indiana the last week in March before everything got shut down. And when that happened, I was like, man, I was really banking on that. Like, I think I told both of you about it when I saw you guys separately. And then it was really hard to mentally adjust when that happened with this gloom of uncertainty, like in the distance. However, I think that if we were to handle this lockdown appropriately and our leaders are able to wait out a certain amount of time and not make a mistake where we end up having to do this for a lot longer. I do think that our industry could save itself if it's within a certain amount of time. So I remain hopeful just because the fact of the matter is, is that our industry is so important. <laughs> you know? And I think everyone's really aware of that. And then if not, we will find a way to make content still because that's how humans always are. How many quarantine things are being made right now? If by chance we need to make our cast and crew less than 10, that will also happen. You know what I mean? I think we will adapt to what is happening. So for me, I think it's just a matter of time. And if that time goes beyond a certain extent, that's when we will have to challenge our industry in changing the way that we do things. Do you care to make a prediction of when productions will start again? What month? Best case scenario, July. July. Okay, that's a good that's best, a good prediction. Best case scenario. I agree with that. July being right? best yeah. case. I'm thinking September. Is that is like a realistic case? I mean, all guys, I want to do is work, you guys. I just want to work. I just want to be all on I set want. and yeah. just dry hump everyone because I miss them so much. <laughs> yeah. In a consensual manner. Yeah, yeah. Well, if you're wearing a mask. <laughs> oh my god, it's so good to see your guys's face. Thanks yeah, for talking to us. Stay safe and healthy and we might check in with you again in uh, a couple months when this thing is still going on i can't wait (laughs) for some directors this time between productions has been a boon brothers brett and drew pierce's debut feature deadheads came out in 2010 
It took 10 years to get their second feature, The Wretched, out into theaters after a super successful festival run, but the release coincided perfectly with the COVID-19 pandemic. Despite that, they're having the hottest streak of their career, and of all the directors we talked to, they are by far the most busy during this quarantine. Hey! What's up, dudes? How's the quarantine treating you? Yeah, good so far. It just sounds weird to be so positive about it, but we've just been trapped indoors doing a lot of work, and it kind of hit at the right time because we've been asked to pitch on a lot of things and read a lot of stuff, so we've been doing a lot of pitches over the phone, and we've been reading a lot of stuff and then writing our own stuff. It's quite annoying to hear you guys talk about it. (laughs) Uh, But I did think, because we're talking to a bunch of different directors, I thought it is interesting to talk to... A couple of directors that things are going swimmingly for because it's yeah. not really the most common story. <laughs> We're trying to story. get the gamut here. Yeah. Yeah. This is the busiest we've probably ever been just because the timing of this whole quarantine, our movie's releasing soon, May 1st. And because of that, we've gotten so many meetings. So we've got like a million irons in the fire now, now right now because we've we've gone on so many pitches. All the executives just feel like they still have to get paid and still work and do all this stuff. Mm-hmm. So I think in a weird way... They're more open to have pitches on the phone because they don't have a lot to do. So they got to kind of justify, yeah, right, we still do right. stuff. So it's like, okay, let's have a phone call. <laughs> so. Do you feel like you've seen a mandate shift at all? Have you seen people specify like, oh, we're really looking for stuff that's informed by this whole thing? I mean, you guys as horror directors, right? There's something interesting about pitching in the time of a literal horror movie scenario. I don't think anybody's asking for the quarantine movie right now. Mm-hmm. <laughs> we definitely got a script the other day that was sort of adjacent. It's kind of a post-apocalyptic world thing, which I think is definitely being rushed because of the mm-hmm. whole pandemic. Everybody we've met with, they all seem really insistent that like once this thing opens up, there's going to be such a demand for content because there's going to be this, this gap. So everybody's mm-hmm. going to be racing to sort of produce things because there's going to be this like several-month gap of like, I mean, I'm sure you guys all feel this way, but everybody's talking about how they're bored and they can't find anything to watch because they've gone through <laughs> Netflix and Hulu and everybody. So, <laughs> yeah. 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 But I, how long do you think it'll be till we can realistically be on set producing things? I think next year. I mean, it's until we get a vaccine, I just don't think people are going to be able to be together. Maybe small patches of the country will kind of open up again as things are handled early next year is my guess a lot of people are hoping for late summer i mean we keep hearing on the phone calls with everybody that they're hoping that in the fall they can start resuming things and Mm -hmm. that would be great um i met you 10 years ago on the film festival circuit with your first feature deadheads yeah and then your second feature is not out yet in the world but it just has finished its festival run and got distribution after your first feature were you seeing the same spike of getting all these open directing assignments pitching things people contacting you the same excitement that you have now not at all i think we up the production level and just everything about this movie we're really proud of it I, I think it's just making something that we're really proud of and we loved our first movie but it, it was held together with bubble gum and <laughs> scotch tape this is a straight horror film and the, the first one was a horror comedy and the wretched's just a horror movie about a witch and i think that's opened up the door so much like drew and i didn't even have agents or managers after making our first film and we had an agent when we started The Wretched, but we got managers after The Wretched started getting a good response. So our management and our agent together have been really, really proactive and awesome about getting a lot of scripts our way, getting a lot of meetings our way, getting us to pitch on a lot of different IP. So it's been like night and day. Like we were broke and weren't talking to anybody after the first movie. Mm-hmm. This time, yeah, we're still 
pretty broke, but, but we're at least talking to but everybody. But you're talking to people. Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, which is how you become less broke over time. Mm -hmm. yeah, yeah. Well, did you have another feature script ready to go while you were on the festival circuit? We didn't. That's our. That's true. And I was like cardinal sin every time is we always finish something and we never have the next one to go. But we had a short story that we had written for something we really wanted to do kind of before the wretched. It was a werewolf thing. It was just a little more complicated and probably too expensive. So we really tightened that up. And that's been making the rounds with a really, really good response. But even since last September, we've been pitching a lot of things and going back in on multiple different things. So we've been kind of basically plotting and replotting these same four or five ideas for these different people and then getting new stuff. So it's been, it's been steady. I mean, we're writing something now just because we got the time. So I'm going to try to have a draft done by May 1st when the movie comes out. We'll see. Yeah. And where can uh, listeners watch the movie if they want to? Oh, you can watch The Wretched. It's actually going to be in some theaters. It's going to be in some drive-ins. Oh, really? We were yeah. apprehensive cool. about it. We were like nervous yeah. about promoting it, but I guess they're drive-ins that are minimal occupancy. They reduced it to like a quarter occupancy, and they only deliver to the cars. Right. Really... You're not allowed to open your windows even. Yeah, we felt weird about yeah. like, yeah, everybody go to the theater, see our movie. Yeah. <laughs> so they're doing that. And then we release May 1st on iTunes, Amazon, all the VOD. The VOD, all that and stuff. That. Yeah. PlayStation Store, Xbox, and all the fun stuff. That's awesome. And yeah. so do you have anything lined up for when the quarantine is over? We have, like we were saying, so many irons in the fire. There's a couple ODAs right now that were... Yeah. So an open directing assignment is there's a movie, there's a script, there's a date, it's greenlit, but there's no director. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Is that the deal? Yep. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So we have, yeah, that kind of stuff. And then we've gotten a ton of scripts from our management. And a lot of times they're high concept things that need some development. So we've been working with other writers to sort of develop them further. Yeah. And, and that's something you're doing during the quarantine. Yeah. <laughs> but then we've pitched on this, this horror franchise like five times. Each Ooh, time can you say which in. franchise or no? No. Probably not. But no. we, it's, it's Munchies, one of these weird critters. Loopholes. Are there any Sorry, hockey masks? <laughs> no hockey yeah. masks no hockey masks but i think we're really yeah. close i think we're down to like the last one or two other people pitching we've oh, nice. i think it was like a huge open sort of pitch for a big franchise so we're hoping we get that it's this weird thing because you can't leave documents with them it's almost like sort of this weird thing where we have to like memorize this really long pitch from scratch tell them and then they jot it down and pitch it to the heads at the studios so we've done that a bunch can't you send them like a PDF or something? No. Nothing with words. And I we usually put together really fancy. Wait, um, why? Because they don't want to be legally. It's it's. Well, it's because like, you're taking they're taking the pitch, but they're not paying for you to like do a treatment. Right, and it's, so, is that because of yeah. a, a WGA agreement? Yes. Yeah, we're yeah. Not so WGA. it's writing for free, basically. Yeah, for, but yeah. I think they just all abide by the WGA rules. Right. So it's this funny thing where we almost have to do more work because we have to have it like completely committed to memory every time and repitch for like 15 minutes. <laughs> and are you um, showing visuals or anything when you're pitching? I put together like a pitch doc for it, but it had one log line in the entire thing and they couldn't accept it. So I'll probably remove that and add some more visuals to it for the final pitch to the studio that we're gonna do soon. Wow, well that's, that's cool. Congrats on all that success. Can you give us two tips on Zoom pitching? Oh, you know, honestly, we haven't been Zoom pitching. It's all been over the phone. So, oh, so you don't yeah. see each other? No, no we, well, we do. 
Well, I mean, we don't see the Drew and I see each other. Right. <laughs> I'll give you a tip, like for the phone calls, yeah. if you're in a writing partnership, we we get in my SUV, my car, and we drive around and talk. Yeah. <laughs> for some reason, while you're so pitching. Well, we're pitching. For some reason, it just gets our brains working way better. Maybe it's just because we're not like stagnant in a little room sort of chatting. Because it's always about feeling like conversational. We also, we can talk at the same time without sort of talking over each other. You know, you get right. those awkward pauses. Be like, yeah. who's going to talk now? Who's on mute? So we've done a lot of the phone pitching that way. Yeah. And you have to have an SUV for this to work. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Whatever. I bought a Mini Cooper right before this whole thing. <laughs> Yeah. I mean, the only thing I've learned just from pitching more and more, especially over the phone in a weird way, is we're always you rehearse the speech so much that you're trying to like kind of get everything out and make it feel natural. But I'm I've been trying to let the other people on the other line talk as much as they can because it honestly it just makes them more involved and they eat up more time of the call in a good way. So if they start talking about some, I just let them go and I try to find something that they're talking about to like bounce off of and start talking more about the story. So it's about just being more flexible about listening to them and letting them steer the pitch a little bit in a weird way has been really helpful. Yeah, it's definitely a dance. We usually ask where they're at with the project and, and how they see it and different things. Like are there mandates as far as cast or as budget, sort of the production details that they know, because that's going to shape our pitch. So it's uh, a lot of times we ask them sort of roughly what the demographic is, what they're looking for, what some of the details yeah. they have. The same way commercials, when you guys go in, there's always like sort of like the checklist of like the four things the, the client wants. Right. I, I think it's also we're critical about the scripts when we talk to them in an honest way. And at first we were kind of like, oh, we really want this job. Should we be nice about everything? And blah, blah. And it's like, no, they kind of want you to be critical because then they think you really care about it and that you're sure, going to try engaged. to steer it to a good place. Yeah, you always obviously start out with what's good and then you kind of go into how you would fix it and you sell it more as kind of like a positive, like this is going to work if we fix it, you know? Mm-hmm. Right. right, sure. Do you think that this whole event is going to change the business in any way? I don't know if we'll ever handshake again. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I mean, it might be the foot shake or the elbow bump. Right. Um, I kind of like the bow, like the Easter. Oh, oh, yeah, yeah, I like the bow. Yeah. Okay. Nice. I, mean, bow. I think people are getting used to Zoom. That's for sure. Like everybody's had to get comfortable with Skype and Zoom. I mean, even just as far as like conference calls, I do my commercial stuff. I'm on Zoom for a couple hours every day, sort of walking people through stuff. So as far as like creatively working with other creatives for production design and storyboards and all that kind of stuff, it is cheaper to ultimately have them because my job that I do, I, I live in LA and I work all over the city, you know, but mm-hmm. I could live in Ohio really cheap and work from home. So there's definitely for production people, it might change that aspect of it. I just kind of think there's a chance that a lot of people in LA out here that work in the business, even though we'll be able to, you know, eventually go back to offices and work where they did. I think a lot of people are going to choose to stay at home and kind of continue it this way um, just because they're going to get used to it and kind of realize how unnecessary the offices in a lot of mm-hmm. for people that are set up at home that can kind of pull off the same stuff so i wouldn't be surprised if it changes in that way where it becomes yeah there'll still be offices and plenty of that stuff but i think there'll be a lot of other people that realize they can work from home well awesome thanks guys <laughs> thanks guys you can find out how to watch the wretched on vod or in drive-in movie theaters by checking out at wretched movie w-r-e-t-c-h-e-d movie you know, it's funny. I don't think we got to talk about it, but I saw The Wretched at Austin, and it was so fun. 
it's like it would be a perfect drive-in movie theater so it's really serendipitous that this is the only way we can go see it and it is kind of about a virus in a way something that spreads without you knowing yeah super fun so if you live near drive-in movie theater and the wretched is playing i genuinely think you would have a great time yeah Another writer-director friend of ours that's been doing her best to balance productivity with deep, deep, deep despair is our good pal Carlin Hudson. Her short Waffle was going to be her third project premiering at South by Southwest before it got canceled. But she's not wasting any time looking back. She's already gotten into the groove of the quarantine. I mean, I'm keeping up with somewhat of a regular schedule. So I get up at like 7.15, meditate do a little news catch up and then from like 10 to noon I turn off the internet. I'm working on a new project. That's my deep work time as mm-hmm. I've spoken at length about sure. on the show. Yeah, <laughs> so that's, like your screenwriting. Uh, yeah, I'm working on a new project. And then after that I can allow myself to go into existential despair, but not until noon. So that's good. So when you say you're working on a new project, does that not mean a new script? Yes, it means a new script. I'm in the outline phase. It's a feature. Are you having fun? No. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> no, I'm not. Have you had fun in the last month writing? Not particularly. The other thing that I'm doing right now, my other feature, the one, the sex ed comedy, mm-hmm. about a month ago, right before this all started, my draft got approved by the producers. Then I've, I've been putting together a lookbook frantically for the past week and a half, and that finally got approved. And then now we're getting the, sort of like a shopping agreement, life rights situation with the subject, because it's based on a true story and she's alive. What does it mean for someone to approve your lookbook? Isn't your lookbook just like what you want it to look like? <laughs> it's a great question, but it turns out when you're developing things with a bunch of production companies, they approve everything let's actually take a step wider on this one because i think there's probably a lot of questions for people but have you optioned this screenplay to other people have they paid you money for this or is this kind of a good faith relationship before you take it to shop at i chose to not take development money because i wanted to own the project and i was worried that my manager and i decided if i were to get paid then they would own the project and it wasn't like enough money that was being talked about that was really worth it so i still own the project but yes it's like a good faith agreement with these two production companies but actually this part this part of the process has been fine because we've made our first cast offer this week. Are you excited about this person? Yeah, I'm really excited about this person. She's pretty famous, so it is wild. Can't, we'll, we'll bleep who it is. Bleep who it is, but it's... She's the star of like... Oh, no, sure. Yeah, 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 that's yeah, great. yeah. By the way, no one's ever not been excited about the first offer because the first offer is the one to the dream cast member. It's the 17th offer when you're like, they were on an episode of True Blood. Hey, hey, Carlin, don't hold your breath, right? I know, right? Well, it's kind of interesting because... because Well, I'm not saying you don't get your first offer. I'm saying if it's the first offer, you're excited. You are. Is that what you're saying? That is what you're saying. I'm saying the lack of excitement comes from after you get a lot of rejection. Yeah, this is not Carlin's first rodeo. She's a Texan. Yes, that's right. I've literally been in rodeos. Let's not forget (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I am excited, but it's a little scary because now this actor has the script, my lookbook, Mm -hmm. and I wrote her a personal letter. 
So are you going to do the coffee thing? Or is that the next step? If she, if she likes coffee, the scripts. Right? Yeah. Well, this is actually really interesting, I think, because in this time, the only reason we managed to get big directors like Carlin and Matt on the Zoom is because people are all at home. And I do wonder from a casting perspective, you can aim kind of high because people might have a little more time to read. They're obviously not shooting anything. And at the very least, it's much easier to meet someone over Zoom than going to have coffee with them and battling traffic and fitting it into your schedule. So I do wonder if this is a perfect time to cast a movie. I need to write a movie real quick. You do. That's what the producers seem to think. There have been times in development of this feature where it's like, hurry to get a draft in, and I do that, and I, and I bust my ass, I write 12 hours a day, and then I'm waiting two months for notes. And I'm like, ah! You know, it's really yeah, frustrating. Yeah. But suddenly, quarantine happened, and they're all like, let's get this out to actors. So I'm like, what? And actually, it has been much faster communicating with these companies since quarantine, which is nice. That's been good, but it was kind of like... Suddenly, I was getting final polish notes on the draft, and then they were like, can you have, this was on a Monday, and then they said, can you give us a lookbook by Friday? Did you hire a, a designer or anything like that, or is it something that you're doing I did hire a designer. And when you're making a lookbook for a feature, are you making a page for each different environment? Obviously, if you're sending this out to cast, you don't want to put too many actors in there, right? Like, you don't, you don't want to cast it in the lookbook. But what, what are the things that you're focusing on from the movie? Is it obviously there's tone, but is it locations? What else? I had the visual language of the film pretty specifically laid out because it is a pretty stylized film. And there's also this interview device where kind of similar to I, Tanya, characters talk directly to camera. And so I showed how I was going to implement that and talked about i had like a page of what wide shots look like a page of what the mediums look like a page of what close-ups look like how the interviews will look oh i love that oh, that's it's great. like composition and all sorts of like yeah. color tone things like yeah that. Exactly. real visual stuff real visual stuff and then a director's statement which is my personal connection to the project and all that i did have a character's page but for the main character in particular she's 17 and i put hillary clinton's college photo as that's her. That's great. That photo. That's, awesome. that's great. Yeah. That's really nice because that's really evocative, and also no one's going to be confused. Like we all get what you're aiming for, but like right. if you were going to do an actor, like you would maybe put, say, the actor that you made an offer to. But would it be weird to put Reese Witherspoon from Election or something in there? You know, Election is the movie that mine is the most like, and I was sort of liberal with Election references in my lookbook, but. Tracy Flick, for some reason, felt too close to put as the main character. So I didn't choose to put Reese Witherspoon in election for that role. I find sometimes when you're pitching characters or movies or stories or anything, it's so much better to say it's like this part of this and this part of this. It's like, you know, the visuals of Game of Thrones, but with the sense of humor of The Office. Right. It never feels like you want to just take something wholesale. You want to be specific with the tone or the style or whatever. Obviously, it's going to be an amalgamation of a ton of different references and life experiences and all that stuff. So you just don't want to feel derivative. If there's an obvious comp already in people's minds, if they read their logline and they're like, oh, yeah, okay, I, I kind of get this. Then if you start matching all of those expectations, then they're not surprised anymore. You right. Know? Yeah, I pitched on that thing that was kind of like a Stranger Things for a slightly younger audience. 
And that's how what they told me about it. So I might have put one image from Stranger Things of 100 images, you know. But I tried to really not right. give them what they told me. Yeah, my lookbook, it's like 21 pages. I've seen longer feature lookbooks. But since the actors we're going out to already have the script, I didn't feel the need to do the act one, act two, act three, which is sometimes mm -hmm. common in feature lookbooks. I just did a synopsis and a log line. Is there a shoot date? Do you anticipate the quarantine being over ever? Oh, boy. I don't know. I mean, I'm glad it seems like I'm doing well mental health wise and I think in general I am but if I do start thinking about when we can get back on set I spiral because I have made money writing before but like you two the vast majority of my income like comes from directing on set shooting and, yeah and I do have two jobs I, I booked a commercial and then I also am only halfway through a series I'm directing and so both of those things are supposed to be going once this is over but we don't know when that's going to be so it is anxiety inducing we get it yeah part of me just keeps thinking maybe this is the time that we get to capitalize on being the top of the non-union I, I don't even know if you guys are non-union still but will that be an advantage because there will be smaller sets going in the summer yeah if you're used to a crew of over 50 people and we know how to make do and like there are corners that we can cut that other people aren't used to or can't aren't allowed to or something like that that perhaps there's a way for us to get back into it a little faster i think that's right. probably true my manager jacob was saying that he thinks it's going to be really hard for a movie to get insured but it does seem clear to me that huge blockbuster movies and tv shows with hundreds of background extras there's no way those are going this year, I don't think. But can smaller things go with only a few actors and limited locations? Maybe. I think commercials could go. Yeah. Especially small commercials. But that in commercials, I think there's a harder creative challenge where you are trying to sell a brand without being tone deaf about the reality of the world, you know? Yeah, the thing that I supposedly booked, which, you know, I'm not counting my chickens but they asked me last week what my may and june availability was <laughs> which was so funny i was like to i'm the guessing producer, they're not la based they are la based the agency You're like, is well i let me check my calendar yeah yeah I think i'm probably free yeah like i have zoom drinks at three I can move some Every stuff day. around, Every guys. Every day. Yeah, yeah. It was yeah. like, I was just, I, of course, I'm like, LOL, 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 because I was just like, let me, I, I say, let me check my schedule every day. It's still funny to me somehow. I don't know why, but anytime anyone asks me, I'm like, let me check my schedule. But yeah, so they asked me what my May and June availability was, which was, I mean, this is before our thing got extended into May 15th, but I don't know. I guess they're going to try to shoot. Uh, who knows? But that gave me some hope of like, interesting, they're still planning on shooting this. That's what I wonder is like, this summer, will we be allowed to shoot locally? Like mid-sized yeah. things. I, I don't think we know. We don't know the answers. I'm hopeful too. And I think that there is going to be a need for what we do. But I think there will be a weird ageism and I don't know what the word is for discriminating against people with oh. conditions. Oh, you had pneumonia this year we're not going to hire you. You're over 50. We're not going to hire you. It's like already so bad in that weird regard. Things like that. Well, on the feminism front, the disease is affecting men more than it is women. So <laughs> watch <Yeah>. out. <laughs> I mean, 
like, well, you know what that means, Carlin. It means more men are going to be immune to the disease than, than women. <laughs> Crap. So really, nobody wins. Again, nobody wins. Yeah. What a disaster. Uh, yeah. I did think you could put together a crew of immune people, you know, people that have had the disease. And I know we don't know exactly how immunity works yet, but if you had right now, like a documentary filmmaker and their crew, one to three people. And they'd already had it. They've already had it. Like you could send them to the front lines. You could send them into people's houses. You could send them anywhere to film and they are not dangerous to those people. I'm going to go lick else. doorknobs this week so I get immune. Gotta, um... Oh yeah, I just ordered 30 <laughs> doorknobs off Amazon. Sick. So I can lick them all. <laughs> Great. Sick Every time my mom asks me, my mom's like, where are you going? And I'm like, I'm going to lick some doorknobs. And she's like, that's not funny. <laughs> <laughs> oh, uh, well, do you have any advice for other filmmakers that are in quarantine right now? I was choosing between two projects to start writing right as quarantine was hitting. One was a more broadly commercial, miscongeniality-esque, like hijinks in a sorority kind of thing. And then this other one is a very personal family dramedy, which I've been kind of avoiding writing because I've never written anything so personal. But it's bringing me a lot of, not not joy, I wouldn't say joy, (laughs) I'd say catharsis to write the, yeah and inside <laughs> the personal one right now because what have we learned we've learned a lot like we've learned that relationships matter we need to slow down everything changes so i'm trying to take those lessons and apply them to the stories that i want to tell and i i'm like nobody wants to see a fucking like sorority hijinks movie after this i would rather see something about real people real relationships real families that's my takeaway i have thought a lot about how all I want to watch is fluff guard. I watched Spider-Man the other day. I watched Onward. Huh. Do you know what I mean? And sometimes I just want something nice and formulaic and, you know, yeah, fun. Light. light. And that's not to say that the uh, importance of meaningful cinema, obviously I'm a huge advocate for that in general, but like right now I'm just like... Also, Matt just watched Spartacus yesterday. I did so. just watch Spartacus <laughs> yesterday. I can't wait. But isn't this interesting how even my own revelations throughout this are different than yours? I guess it's, I, I, previously I wanted to watch more fluffy stuff, but now I don't. Now I'm going through and I'm watching a bunch Mm -hmm. of classic movies. I'm trying to get into the stuff that I've been putting off. So it's just, I think everyone does respond differently. So we don't know anything about what people are going to want after this. So I guess just write and make what feels good. Yeah. Good talking to you. We had so many awesome conversations, we realized we didn't want to cram them all into one mega episode, so we broke it out into two. You can check out the next part of our quarantine conversations with four more directors. Yeah, this episode was edited by us. Our webmaster is Ewan Williams, and the music you're listening to is from the artist Jazar and the Free Music Archive, and additional music from Musicbed. Thanks, everyone. We'll catch you in the next part. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns.
Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. 